0: We are going to continue in our series today, though, and I have a word for us that I'm I'm really excited to speak. As we all know, these are uh, different days where we are all calling an audible on our plans that we had for life. Uh, None of us planned this week to be what it is currently. None of us thought that we'd be not able to go and gather in worship or maybe go to our place of work or go to our hockey game or whatever it was we have planned. Uh, Life has a way of disrupting our normal patterns and our normal uh, ideas and the things that we would had set to do. And, and here's what I want to just start off with. I want to just say that I'm wondering as I look at what's happening and as I look at how the coronavirus is spreading across the world and all the things that are spreading with it, I wonder if in this disruption we can find the divine sovereign hand of God moving as well. And that if we as the people of God can't look at this Not as just an inconvenience or even a disruption, but a divine disruption. And I want to think about that today as we open the word. Uh, I believe that we are in a moment. I believe that we are in a moment that the Bible would call a kairos moment. It's a a word, it's a Greek word that refers to a, a special appointment in time. And I believe that's what this is right now for the church, not just for our church, but the church. I believe this is a Kairos moment where we really need to lean in and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We are in a moment of disruption. The coronavirus, the COVID-19 crisis is causing a lot of panic A lot of fear, it's having implications on our lifestyles, it's having implications on our our finances, the economy, of course, health. There are so many things that that legitimately is cause for concern. Uh, You're not going to hear us today say that there's nothing to to fear, but what you're going to hear is that there's one that can actually cast out all fear, and I want to speak to that today in the light of this disruption and in the light of the space and time that we find ourselves in. We are in a season right now as a church where we didn't just arrive at this place uh, by coincidence. In fact, as I think about the last handful of months, I think back on to September when we, as a church, felt God stirring in our hearts to pray for revival, and we saw it for a month. Uh, we we consecrated the month as a cry for revival. That God would do a new work in our lives, in our church, in St. John, in Halifax, Atlantic Canada, throughout the world. And we, we, we prayed into that. We praised over that. We sought after that. And, and God really, it, it felt like he heard us in that time. And so we, in September, even as a sign, we, we called it a sign when it happened. In September, 120 people were baptized in one day which that, that represents for us some unprecedented, unprecedented things. And we, we took that as a sign. In fact, we, we figured out after the fact that night that the, the 120 was a, was a prophetic number, that it was 120 people who were gathered in the upper room before the Holy Spirit was given. Uh, it, was, it was That number, 120, means appointed. And we, we said then and there that this is an appointed time that God is actually be bringing us into. And so we've been looking at these last several months with different eyes to begin with. But then we came through Christmas, and we came into January, and we as a church did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And in that time, God gave us many words as individuals, but he gave us some words as a church. He told us as a church that this is going to be a year. There's several, several things that he told us. It was going to be a year where, where we would see the hand of God move, but before that, there was going to be some things we needed to understand. This was going to be a year of refinement, we said. We felt like the Lord said it was going to be a year of refinement, that it was going to be a year where we need to press through resistance, but as we do, God's going to bring breakthrough. We believe that God said that to us, and that as we proceed through refinement and through breakthrough, it's going to lead to renewal. And we felt like God was saying that to us in January, although it's funny when you hear God say things and you think you know what that means, Uh, It's amazing how when he colors that in, it's always more than what you thought it was. And here we are in a time uh, of challenge, of disruption, a a, a time where there's pain happening, there's disappointment happening, there's confusion happening, there's mass hysteria and panic happening. And so I want to ask the question today, what are we as the church to think in a time of disruption? Because we aren't exempt from it. We're in it. What are we to make of a time of disruption and discomfort that the whole world is facing? And I want to just point us to things that we need to think about that are going to lead us to to have spiritual eyes to see what's happening and even to see, I'll tell you, I'll I'll spoil the ending already. I'm getting excited for what I believe God is going to do because I've had conversations with Christian leaders from all the way from the UK to California, I've traveled there all throughout the fall and even into this new year, and Christian leaders all in the Western, like the Western world are all saying the same thing. We are on the precipice of awakening. And I wonder if this, I, I don't know if this is the moment, but this is sure, uh, some, this is contributing to it. And so I want to look at the scripture today in our series in Revelation, and I want to ask the question, will we see and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church for us in this hour? It's interesting, I was going to pause our Revelation series here in the coming weeks and go into some initiatives that we thought might be good as a church, but clearly God had other plans, and so I'm going to pick up where I was planning to leave off, and it happens to be in the last message to the seven churches. Now, it's a significant one because this is one of the most famous messages to the seven churches, as, as we'll find out. But the number seven means completion. The number seven means it's kind of bringing a wrap. Uh, uh, it's bringing to, 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 to wholeness. Uh, that's what the number seven means. And we're going to look at that today and you're going to find, I believe, God saying something to us right now. And so I'm going to read it in just a minute, but to get some of you caught up, maybe some of you are just tuning in for the first time ever. You know, someone shared a link and you're watching this. Hey, we're a group of believers that we believe that our only hope in this world is Jesus Christ and that we find life through his word. We don't go by our feelings or go by maybe even just traditions blindly. We go by what the Word of God says, and we've been tracking through this book at the end of the Bible called Revelation. And Revelation is a often confused, often misappropriated, misapplied, mis- misinterpreted book, but we've been finding as we've been diving in a whole lot of hope and grace and peace in this book. And as God has been speaking to us, we've found that it's true to its name. The word Revelation, it comes from the, the word apocalypsis, which means unveiling. And this has been showing us things. And we found out early on that that God actually gave the church the book of Revelation, not so that we could use the times to understand Revelation, but so that we could use Revelation to understand the times. And so we've been looking in this book week by week saying, God, say something new to us. Speak something from your words so that we can understand this world we live in. And I want to suggest to you today, uh, the timing of this is incredible and impeccable. And I think you're going to be encouraged and maybe even challenged as we look at the seventh letter to the seven churches. Uh, This is a crazy time in the life of the church in this time. The seven letters were written to the seven churches that were existing that day in what is now modern day Turkey. And we are finding that all of these letters have something to say to us as the church today. This wasn't one letter, one thing said at one time, but this is a message to the church for all time, and so we've been listening very closely. And this is the final of the seven letters, and I want to read it. I'm just going to read it today. Uh, We have them, we've been gathering, reading it out loud, and I'd encourage you maybe this week to go back and read this out loud. There's actually blessing just in the reading of the book of Revelation, but I want to read it for us, and then I'm going to unpack it. So I'm going to read the whole letter and then I'm going to unpack it. And so a couple things by way of context. This is happening in AD 90. This is under Roman rule and Emperor Domitian is an absolute tyrant, an insecure tyrant who is just hell-bent on snuffing out this new movement called the kingdom of God. And it's on the backdrop of that that we find these letters written. And this is the final to the seven churches. Now, just one more thing before I read it. Imagine being the church in Laodicea. This letter that they would receive was something that was to be read out loud. And so picture their pastor showing up and reading Revelation uh, out loud. And they get to the book or to the letters, to the seven letters. And they start to read about the church in Philadelphia and the church in Ephesus and the church in Sardis. And they go one by one. They're like, okay, maybe Jesus is going to talk to us. And Jesus does talk to the church in Laodicea. And it must have been a jarring, disruptive moment. Let's read what Jesus had to say to this church to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom i so so you can see those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here i am i stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the church. This is the word of the Lord. And so can you imagine sitting there in a public gathering, I'm assuming the first time they read it, they weren't uh, quarantined and they were able actually to to be together. Can you imagine the jarring moment when the Church of Laodicea heard the words of the risen Christ, who had just commended so many churches and said, "I know what you're doing. Hang in there. You know, it's the church in the church in Smyrna, the, the crushed church. You know, you can get through this. Stay true." He gave all these encouragements, and then when he comes to this final church, I mean, this is a this is this would have been a blow. This would have been a disruptive, off balance, off putting moment when they heard these words from Jesus. It would have been absolutely disruptive. And I want to just give a little bit of backdrop, though, to help us understand. And I hope this gives us some insight on what to do with times where we find ourselves in discomfort and disruption, because that's where many of us are at right now. And whether or not you brought it upon yourself, or you're just a a victim of something that's out of your hands, like a virus. I believe we're going to find some hope in what to do with disruption, but let's look a little closer at why Jesus is, what he's saying and what he's getting at for the church in Laodicea. Now, if you understand a little bit about the context, let me help you. In AD 90, like I said, this is when this was written, Laodicea of all the churches in Asia was the most affluent of all of the cities. Laodicea was a city that, although it wasn't a government town, although it wasn't, uh, you know, the, it wasn't the religious epicenter, Laodicea was the richest of all of the towns. So there was a lot of power and influence there, and it was rich from a few reasons. First, its, geographically, its geographical placement had it at the intersection of a bunch of trade routes. And so they were able to get uh, to capitalize on the commerce that was passing through their city all the time. It made them very rich. And then to top it off, the city of Laodicea also were rich because they had a fashion industry. They were actually first century like fashion leaders, and there was a type of sheep in the city of Laodicea, a black sheep, that made this special type of wool. And so they were actually industry leaders, clothing leaders, fashion leaders right there in Laodicea. And then to top it off, as if money and influence and fashion influence wasn't enough, they also were very smart, and they were a leading city because of their school of medicine. And, and in fact, there were, they were famous for an eye salve that people would come far and wide to get that, that was said to be able to help with eye problems. So that gives a little backdrop as to what's going on. And so when Jesus speaks about their nakedness, when he speaks about their blindness, he, he's saying things that they're already connecting dots. But perhaps the most famous thing that he says is this idea about them being lukewarm, If you've ever been to church before, maybe you've heard a message or you've heard that reference, you're lukewarm. And we have an understanding a little bit about what that means, but the the people in Laodicea would have known full well what Jesus was referring to because in Laodicea, for all of the great things they had, all the assets and all the advantages they had of being an affluent, wealthy city, the big problem in in, uh, in Laodicea was the fact that they had no clean drinking water. Their water was a problem. There were two main natural sources. There was one river that came from the north and one that came from the east. The river from the north actually had a fresh mountain spring at its start. However, by the time it traveled to Laodicea, it, it became not cold, but you guessed it, lukewarm. And in fact, it had time to stagnate. And it had time to neutralize. And it had time to actually develop things that were unhealthy to consume. And then to top it off, these two rivers met. This other river, the one from the east, had a natural hot spring. So get this, a natural cold spring and a natural hot spring. And these two rivers would meet in the city of Laodicea. And when they met, the water was lukewarm. And it actually was, you weren't able to drink it. It would make you sick. It would actually make you sick. And so when Jesus says, you are neither hot nor cold, that is loaded language for them. They would have in that moment known exactly what Jesus was talking about. And he's not saying, as some people often have interpreted, hey, Jesus isn't saying I wish you were hot or cold in that, hey, get in or get out, although that's halfway there. What he's really saying is, I'm calling to question the authenticity of your faith. And I'm saying that it's actually insufficient and I can't digest it. That that type of faith, Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, is false. It's fake. It is not safe for consumption. He's actually calling their, que- their faith illegitimate. It's not pure. He's referring to their faith like the water they are so accustomed to. If, if I were to contextualize what Jesus is getting at, the problem in Laodicea is complacency it's neutral. Their faith is neutral. It's lukewarm. It's room temperature. It's not hot. It's not useful. It's not, it doesn't bring refreshment. It's not cold. It's not hot. It doesn't bring healing. It's absolutely indifferent. And it comes from a false confidence. And so Jesus speaks out to them and he calls them on their apathy. Now, these would have been smart people, probably well-off people, people who, were conscientious, people who were educated, people who had thought through, I believe there is a God, and yet something about their faith Jesus finds repulsive. When he says, I will spit you out of my mouth, the Greek word means I'll vomit. This is probably the harshest thing Jesus says in all of recorded scripture. And he speaks it to this church that probably going into it would have been thinking that they're in pretty good standing and doing just fine. And Jesus says, you think you're fine, you think you're good, but I tell you, you are wretched, pitiful, naked, blind, and poor. Just imagine how jarring that would be. And I want to ask the question really quick, and I hope this is going to give us some help today. Why does Jesus come in so hot on lukewarm Laodicea? Why does he come in and why does he just nail them why does he allow this? Why does he bring this disruption on them? And maybe let me just bring it out for us today in our day, and our time, and what we're going through. Why does Jesus, whether it's him speaking it, whether it's us coming through a season of difficulty that we brought on ourselves, or it's us just going through life and then disaster strikes, why does Jesus allow disruption? What do we do with disruption? What do we do with this idea of being disciplined? And I have three ideas I want to submit to you today to help you consider in times like this. The first word is this. The first word I want to think about as we think about the fact that we are right now in a season of disruption. Life as we know it is altered at the moment. We pray for breakthrough. We pray that God brings just the end to this whole virus and that God's going to bring about his kingdom. But what do you need to know in this season? Here's a few ideas. I just want to give us three words to meditate on as we go about our week. The first word is this. That's not the first word. Well, let's let's look at it anyway. No, it's not. That's bad. (laughs) The first word, all right. Help me at home. The first word is redirection. Say redirection. Redirection. Let me redirect. You don't want, look at this. Stealing my thunder. Hold my beer. I got this. (laughs) We'll come back to that. It'll make sense in a minute. The word is redirection. The word is redirection. In times of disruption, ask yourself the question, God, how are you trying to redirect my faith? God was trying to redirect the faith of the church in Laodicea. He was absolutely coming against that type of faith. Now, what was the problem? Let's go a little further into this context of Laodicea. Jesus addresses himself as what? He says, I hear the words from the I am, from the, from the, uh, he calls himself the what? The first and last, he calls himself the, uh, the, the amen. He's referring to himself in all of his divinity. In fact, it has shades of what's said in Colossians chapter 1 where it talks about he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, by whom and for whom all things have their being, and he holds all things together, in whom God was pleased, all of his fullness was pleased to dwell. It's, It's speaking, when Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea, it's speaking to his supremacy. And he speaks from his supremacy to Laodicea's insufficiency. And he says, you think you're fine. You think you're good, but I'm telling you, you are insufficient. Now, a little bit of backdrop again on Laodicea. In AD 60, get this, there was an earthquake that decimated a bunch of cities in that part of the world. In fact, last week, I believe Pastor Andy referenced the whole uh, Philadelphia, or sorry, Pastor Seth referenced Philadelphia, that, that it was decimated by earthquake. Laodicea was also decimated by this earthquake, but get this. Rome gave financial aid to all of the cities that were ruined because of this earthquake, except Laodicea. And it's not because they didn't offer it to Laodicea, it's because Laodicea said, You know what? We're good. Keep your money. We got lots. That's what they said to Rome when Rome offered them aid. They were so sufficiently wealthy that they were able to actually dig themselves out of their own hole. Like, Can you imagine however this whole corona thing shakes out and, and like the government comes to New Brunswick or the government comes to St. John and says, hey, here's some money. It's going to help stimulate the economy or it's going to help rebuild this. And we're just, we're just like, no, we're good. This is what Laodicea did. And when Jesus comes to them and he says, you say I'm rich, I'm not in need of a thing, he's calling into question that attitude that says, I am self-sufficient, I've got it. He's calling into question self-sufficiency. He's calling into question misplaced faith, the type of faith that sees yourself as too great and God as too little. And he's trying to reset how we see God and how our faith is formed. And the first reason is this, because of false confidence. Here's, here's something I found out to be true, that a deluded view of self can all often lead to disaster. This is why I had these pictures here. Some of my favorite memes online are the hold my beer memes. You Go check it out if you're watching uh, online later. The hold my beer, it's, that, it's like when someone's about to do something dumb. And so, so like, like this, why do men live longer? Here's a great example. This guy thought, you know what, let's just shoot the, shoot the can off my hand. Th- like this one. When we get delusional about our own capacity, right? Hold my beer, I got this. This is great. This is why men don't live as long as women, right here. Hold my beer and hold my ladder, right? This- I like this one too. I bet you can't jump the barn. Hold my beer, there's a car in the barn. Self-sufficiency often ends in destruction and dysfunction. And oftentimes when God brings disruption upon us, he brings it upon us to help course correct where we are overly confident. When we start to get overly confident in, our own, in ourselves, in our own aptitude, in our own wealth, in our own ability, it's these times that God actually wants to come in and say, hey, you know what? Pride comes before the fall. He's coming in to try to correct us and to keep us from going off course into destruction. Dysfunction often ends in disruption. It often ends in difficulty. But the second reason God will come is not just to humble us, but it is to, he'll disrupt us, and I believe this is what's happening right now with this whole coronavirus. This is a call to the church where we have to actually step back as we deal with our own insufficiency and ask our question, how big is your God? How great is our God? How big is Jesus? Is he bigger than a virus? Is he bigger than the economy? Is he bigger than fear? Here's what I find disruption does in my life. When I submit it to God, it gives him an opportunity to reestablish himself as supreme. That's what God is doing to the church in Laodicea. He's coming in and he's smashing their false faith. He's saying, if your faith is in your wealth, if your faith is in your friends, if your faith is in your fashion, if your faith is in your smarts, I'm telling you, you are careening for disaster. And so Jesus, out of love, comes in, and he course-corrects them. I believe one of the main reasons why we go through disruption and we go through discipline, we go through times of, of difficulty, is so that God will confront the idols that we have built up and reset himself as supreme Above all, God wants to disrupt and destroy high views of self and low views of God. And I believe you'll do that right now in this season, even of whatever whatever you're going through with this. This is an opportunity that God wants to confront maybe a high view of self. Maybe humanity needs to, for the first time in 2020, be reminded that, you know what? We can have all the money in the world. We can have all the science and technology. Just takes a minute where we're reminded how small we are. But in these moments, I believe God also wants to remind us how big he is. I believe one of the reasons that God was so, Jesus was so just appalled by the faith in Laodicea, one, one commentator I was reading said this. He said, Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Why? Why? Because if you are lukewarm about your faith, it means that you are seeing a false God, that God is smaller in your mind than he actually is. You can never actually have a revelation of who this God is and respond with anything else but utter amazement and awe and worship. Real revelation does not produce lukewarmness. The fire of God ignites fire in us. And so it's a form of blasphemy. It's to not treat the Holy One as holy. It's to not, it's to not acknowledge who He is and His place. I, have, I, I can't suppose to imagine how offensive it must be for the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God who poured out his, the blood of His Son to redeem mankind. I can't imagine how offensive it would be to Him when we treat Him as common, I've, I've found a few times, it's, almost, it's funny, I'll, I'll show up, maybe uh, I'll be in the lobby at one of our church services, or sometimes when I visit Halifax, and I'll, I'll meet somebody new, and they'll say, hey, do you go here? They don't know who I am. And like, I'll, I'll say, yeah, kind of, I kind of go here, right? And it's one of those, like, okay, they, they don't know who I am, and obviously it doesn't offend me, because they're ignorant. But I understand the, the, the offense. Put your mind there. When, when someone doesn't treat you in your office, if you're a father and your child disrespects you, what does that do? If you're a husband and, or, you're, or a wife and, and your husband doesn't treat you as they should in that office, this is what Jesus is saying is so repulsive is you're treating me like just one of the many options. And man, isn't that a word for the church in this hour? Yeah. Wow. Like don't we so often just sort of give God a slice of the pie? how dare we? Like if we had a glimpse of the Holy One, like the one that angelic beings can't look upon and live, The one who is forever praised, forever and ever. Before he spoke the world into motion, he was being worshipped. When he spoke creation into existence, creation sings his praise. The mountains sing his praise. The valley sings his praise. The rocks cry out. Imagine, imagine the offense when us, his prized creation, the ones who can think, the ones who can see, the ones who can perceive when we treat him as common. I believe one of the reasons God brings us into disruption is to disrupt our low views of God and to start to see him as high and holy again. See, he will allow scary things to come into our lives, to confront our false security, and then confront false insecurity. Here's the thing the Bible would say. The Bible would say that God is far more terrifying than coronavirus, the Bible would say that the reality of the holiness of God is far more intense than the economy failing. And that for us to fear something above him is idolatry, it's blasphemy. This is what Jesus was getting at. I was reminded of, uh, in in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said it like this, one of my favorite Christian authors. He said, if you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody ever met Jesus Christ. No, No one who ever met Jesus Christ had a moderate reaction to him there are only three reactions to Jesus. People either hated him and wanted to kill him, they were afraid of him and wanted to run away, or they were absolutely smitten with him and tried to give their whole lives to him. See, this mediocrity, this mundane Christianity, this lukewarm expression of Christianity, it's built on a false conception of who God is. You cannot see the holiness of God. You cannot experience the grace of God and stay the same. And Jesus comes in and he speaks to that. He tries to reset their fear. Uh, Here's another, another quote I was thinking of from C.S. Lewis, this is in The Lion, the Witch, and the, in the Wardrobe, and, and Mr. Beaver is speaking, it's a, it's a kid's book, by the way, so it's not like a theological, it is theological, but it's a kid's book, but Mr. Beaver is speaking to uh, Susan, telling him about Aslan, who is the, who's like the Christ figure in it, it's a Christian book, and he's speaking about Aslan, picture Jesus, and this is what he says, Aslan's a lion, the lion, the great lion, Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I wonder if, I wonder if in this hour, King Jesus is not trying to flex a little bit on us and remind us that he is a king, he is Lord. And let me just say this, let me say it prophetically, we cannot afford to live as though Jesus is not Lord. We can't afford to live as though he is not King of kings and Lord of lords. And that every other power in this world, whether viral, economic, political, family, every other power, every other name, every other voice will bow before his name. He is the only one that deserves our fear and our trust. And God brings disruption into our lives, I believe, first and foremost, to reset us, to bring redirection. Maybe you're finding, even as you kind of do inventory in your life, that, that maybe your focus has been redirected or has been kind of brought off course. And now it's funny how, how trauma and crisis can cause us to sort of just narrow in our focus on what really matters. The only thing more catastrophic than a diluted view of self is a small view of God. God will use disruption. The Bible says uh, in Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, if you want to start setting your life, arranging your life, if you want to figure out where to start in engaging the whole COVID thing, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the key, and I believe that is the key that is going to unlock complete renewal in the church and through the church. We have got to stop tolerating Small, little, caricature, commonplace attitudes toward a holy God. God is confronting false comfort and self-sufficiency, and he's inviting us to trust him as supreme Lord. Here's, here's, a, here's a guiding question I would ask along the, the word of redirection. Where have we placed our faith Listen, if you are running to Sobeys, buying up all the toilet paper and being one of those freaks and you're a Christian, I suggest to you, if you're panicking, maybe you bought a lot of toilet paper and you're not panicking, you just did, whatever. But if you're panicking, if you're one of the people pushing at Costco and cutting people off and getting caught up in the chaos of all this, I would suggest to you that you have not placed your faith in a sovereign Lord, but you are being blown around by an inadequate faith in an inadequate Lord. Where have you placed your faith? The coronavirus is not Lord. Your health is not Lord. Your money is not Lord. Your friends, your family, as great as these things are, not Lord and they do not warrant your faith. Where have I placed my faith? Maybe today God is confronting false security. And maybe he's confronting in some of you Christians insecurity. In the same way we shouldn't be afraid of viruses in these times, or in the same way we shouldn't be overconfident in, in ourselves, we shouldn't be afraid of viruses in these crazy times. Don't be afraid. Second, second word is this. I'm going to be done really, really fast, so buckle up. Second word is this, correction. Correction. I believe God uses disruption, first and foremost, to bring redirection, to actually cause us to call things into focus, to throw out false gods and things that don't matter, to bring alignment. And it begins with what? The fear of the Lord. Set him high. That's so why worship's going to be so important in these coming weeks. If we, can't, if we can't gather together, you have got to use worship as a weapon because it sets God in his rightful place. Second word is this word, correction. God will use seasons of disruption. Again, did God cause the coronavirus? I don't believe he did, but he sure knew it was coming and he's allowing it to do what it's doing. And he uses these things to bring correction to us, not just redirection, but actual correction that he, he calls into account our behaviors and he invites us to repentance. This is what he was doing to the church in Laodicea. He said, look, I counsel you, I advise you to buy from me gold don't get caught up in your wealth and your riches it's fake it will perish come to me buy from me clothes to cover your shameful nakedness he said buy from me salve so that you can really see he said come to me' he's, what was he saying he's saying the way that you're acting is wrong. Turn from your lukewarm, moderate faith and come back to me. Cut out this kind of sitting on the fence, having multiple gods and having multiple allegiances. Cut that out and come back to me. So repent and surrender. This is what he's calling Laodicea to do, to do. Why? Look what he said. He said in verse eighteen, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent He calls them out. He tells them to cut it out. He tells them to stop it. It's amazing. Crisis has an uncanny ability to reveal dysfunction, doesn't it? Like the moment pressure comes on, you see it in your own life. You see it, we see it right now. You go online, you go on CNN. Actually, you know what the first way to confront the coronavirus is? Take this, hold the button on the side, and there will be a little red thing that comes up and then swipe it where it says power off and put it away. That's step one on on confronting the coronavirus. It starts right here. But crisis has an uncanny ability to reveal dysfunction. It reveals, like, I've said it like this before what comes out when you're pressed is what was already in there. So if pressure comes upon our culture and panic is the outcome, that's what lives inside. It reveals things. Disruption reveals things. It reveals right now we're seeing panic, selfishness, we're seeing uh, cowardice, we're seeing insecurity. But at the same time, the same way pressure can come in and reveal what is wrong, it also has a way of revealing what is right. It also has a way of bringing about things that, like, look, I just read on the Telegraph Journal, I know you Nova Scotians, you you have your your own legislature and all that. I just read that they passed the provincial budget unanimously. Y'all, that's a miracle. I'm not even speaking to whether the budget's good or bad. I don't even know. I didn't look into it. All I know is that this brought agreement where there has been dysfunction and disagreement for decades. See, these things have a way of correcting dysfunctional behavior, things that keep us locked up in dysfunctional patterns. It has a way. It doesn't, this, doesn't crisis have a way of just cutting through the crap that exists in our lives? I remember most of us probably watching today, although some children are probably watching, remember when 9-11 happened that was the, hot, the, the week after 9-11 was the, the most attended Sunday for, for a long time. Why? Because these things have a way of just calling into question and bringing correction into our lives. That's what happens. That's one of the reasons God brings these times into our lives. He starts to bring clarity and then cleansing. And I believe that God right now is cleansing his bride, Jesus God is cleaning his house. Jesus, the Bible says, will return for a spotless and pure bride. And I wonder if in this season God doesn't want it to use this. Us for inspection and correction to bring his light and his healing into areas of dysfunction. I, I, I've been catching this theme all through our church and in my own life, just God putting his finger on things. He's like, no more, that's gotta stop. That ends here. He's calling us out of it and he's removing things from us. And maybe, maybe you've found that, you've seen God just calling into question things. He's taking things away. And we've said a few weeks ago that God takes things. Why does God take things? Well, God's a giver. He takes things that will take from you. He's removing all that degrades and destroys. And so the church, when we see these difficulties and we see this dysfunction, we, not need to, we don't need to run from it. We need to pray the most dangerous but life-giving prayer that's ever been prayed. It's what David prayed when he said in Psalm 139, search me, God. See if there's any wicked way in me bring the heat, burn up what's dead, burn up dysfunction, burn up lies, burn up fear, burn it all up and refine what is gold. See, I believe that's what God wants to do in this season for his church. In the same way that we cannot afford to live as though Jesus is not Lord, we cannot afford to live as though Jesus is not life. And to go to things that are not life for life as our source. Money is not the source of life. Fashion and glory and influence and affluence, not the source of life. Jesus and Jesus alone can give life. And I believe he's bringing conviction and repentance upon the church. This is a season, and it's actually, it's not something that I'm even going to say this weekend as I, as I share this message. I believe the Holy Spirit is already working on his church saying, I want you to surrender that to me. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to stop watching that. Don't think like that. Don't let your eyes see that anymore. I believe he's actually bringing <laughs> like cleansing and purity to the church like never before. And he does it through, through seasons like this these seasons of pressure and difficulty. Here's a guiding question. I'm almost done. What does Jesus want to remove? In the same way that he wants to reset our faith, maybe there's some behaviors in us. Like I I was praying before uh, we, we started the service and I was just praying that that God would use this season for however long it is and for whatever it is, that he would break off old wineskins and old mindsets, and maybe things in the church that just don't need to be here anymore, and that he would actually release what he really wants to release and bring cleansing and transformation and renewal into the church. That's my hope. But here's the thing, it starts in individuals. What does God want to remove? Like, You have to imagine when when the church in Laodicea read that letter, it must have been jarring. Like him calling to question these things. And I just want to, maybe this is a moment in time for us as a church and as a people to ask the question, God, what is it in me that can no longer go forward? What exists in me that cannot exist in heaven? Don't let me wait till I die to purify me. Purify me right now. Make me like Jesus. You know, I've had in my mind lately just this, this resounding whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, you actually can be like Jesus. Not by your own might, but by my spirit, I can change you if you'll just repent and surrender. I wonder if this is the time. Like I know, I know it is. This is the time for the church to step in and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the hands and feet of Christ. I'm gonna actually be holy." What is holy? Holy is consecration. It's having been cleansed and purified and set apart. God calls His people to be holy as He is holy. The Bible says, "Without holiness, you will not see the Lord." Maybe this is a time where God is bringing cleansing and holiness into the church? What does God want to remove? What does he want to take? So the word number two is correction. Here's my final word, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to move on. Word number three is expectation. So in the same way that God moves us from kind of resetting our fears, you know, redirection, This idea of of realigning our whole lives. Listen, do not miss this moment and do not miss this season to realign with what is true. Realign with who God really is and as you do that, he will bring correction into your life. He will tweak some things. He will change some things. You cannot give God permission and access to your life and expect to stay the same. You can't. He will just Start changing you, but here's the deal. He changes you to bring you to life. God doesn't just rebuke for no reason. Why? He rebukes, it just said, I rebuke those I love. He's bringing blessing into your life. You see, you move, as we move from being reset and redirected, and we move from, in, into this idea of correction, and then as God begins to have his way, that needs to transition into expectation. That needs to transition into expectation. Disruption, the things that God may allow, allow us to go through, he does it so that we, he can bring out good in our lives. God is not the author of destruction. God is not the author of chaos. God is not one who curses. God is one who gives and blesses and brings life. Jesus said in John ten ten, I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. That is God's heart for you in Christ Jesus. And that is your destiny. That is your birthright. And Jesus, when he rebukes you, he's coming against anything that stands in the way of that. And so as we allow God to move in our lives, and in this season, we need to see this as a moment and translate it into expectation. I believe God is doing something unprecedented. When we look at these times, these are unprecedented times, which means this is an unprecedented moment for God to do something that's never been done before. Look how this this ends. Maybe this will give us some Let's read the very end of the the letter. Now if this seems like it changes gears fast, that's because it does. Remember, he, was just, he literally just got done sit, saying to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold. You think you're great, you're not great. You think your wealth's good enough, it's not good enough. You think your health's good enough, it's not good enough. Bow down before Jesus, the King of kings and lords of lords. He, he absolutely brings humbling to them. And now look what he says. He like knocks them off their high horse and then look what he says. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I thought about that this week and I was thinking, what a contrast. Here you have this well-to-do church, this church that has everything, this church that has money and power and wealth and influence and fashion and medicine. They got it all, but it was, it was hollow. This, this church that thought they were something but were really nothing, they had elevated themselves, and yet here Jesus comes, he knocks them, he humbles them, and then at the bottom he comes to them, and the one who, who is high and lifted up, the one who is exalted, the one who is forever praised, actually, like, doesn't this seem kind of like in like, like small? like that God would humble himself so low to meet us right there in our place of need, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. I wonder if right now, as we begin to reevaluate our lives, as we think about this region, what God is doing, I wonder if he's not knocking. And that if we would open up to him, turn to him, I wonder if he would not flood this place with victory and life and freedom and restoration and hope. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this, it's going to be good if God's in it. It just is. That's how he works. And so our job, church, let me just speak this before we're done. I'm going to pray in a second. Our job in this hour, whether it's one week, two weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and and long after the, the COVID season comes to a close, and it will, our job is to be agents of hope and agents of expectation, that we are waiting for that moment that the heavens rip open and Jesus comes at the trumpet sound. and brings complete and utter restoration to this world. These hard times should make you all the more desiring to see Jesus return and all the more expectant that things are happening. Listen, I, know, I don't know a lot of things, but I know one thing, we're one day closer to when Jesus returns. We have to be expectant. He's knocking at the door. And I believe whatever is going on is a setup for the Savior. And it's something that Jesus is going to stand on and get his glory. Jesus will have his glory through the coronavirus. Jesus will have his glory through the church. Jesus will have his glory through this province. Jesus will have his glory through Atlantic Canada. He will have his glory in this nation. He will have his glory in North America and South America and Australia and Asia. He will have his glory, he will get it. And so we're supposed to look at things differently with expectation. I I heard my my mentor share this morning and he said, you know, things might be falling apart for you, but they're falling in place for God. So when we see this and we see all the fear and all the things that are happening, things might be seeming like they're falling apart, but they're really falling into place. This is a moment. This is a moment, don't give it. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. What does God want to give? What does Jesus want to do through this? What does Jesus Okay, we can't meet we can't meet together in church. What does Jesus want to do? What does he want to give us? What does he want to deposit in the church? He's not a taker, he's a giver. What does he want to deposit in this hour? What does he want to deposit in this season? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves as we reset our faith. We place it solely in Jesus. We fight against fear. We don't allow fear to creep in. We don't allow coronavirus or death or disease or decay or 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 economics to, to raise itself up in front of the view of almighty God. We tear those things down And then we allow him to speak into our lives and say, God, I I don't want to tolerate things you don't tolerate. I don't want to continue on in things you don't want me to continue on in. So search me, purify me, cleanse me. And then as he does that, we wait with great expectation, knowing it's only a matter of time before we see the purpose that God is going to bring out and the glory that he's going to get through this season. He's going to get his glory. What does Jesus want to give us? Here's Here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask you the question. Let me just go back through it. Is there an area in your life that you have allowed creep up as sovereign? Is there a name? Maybe the name is cancer. Maybe the name is divorce. Maybe the name is coronavirus. Maybe the name is your, your, your stock portfolio. Maybe the name is your employment. Maybe the, you, the name is your kids. Is there a name that you don't, you've allowed to get on a seat it was never deserved to sit on? It never deserved to sit on. Place Jesus on the throne where he actually is. Redirect your faith. Is there a behavior that Jesus is calling into question? That he's saying no more. Not here, not in my people. Repent and reset your expectation. I don't know how things are gonna track the next few weeks, but I know this, Jesus wins. He just wins. And we set our expectation in that. I was thinking about this before we pray. I was thinking about this verse, Hebrews 12 I read this verse uh, eight years ago when our church went through very tumultuous times. This is something I I clung to. The writer of Hebrews writing to, to this church said, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Really? Right now? Yes. Let us be thankful. Why? Because our hope is not in what's happening. It's in something greater, the kingdom that can't be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, not with complacency and comfort. Reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God's kingdom cannot be shaken, and when the heat is turned up, it has a way of burning up false kingdoms and purifying and glorifying the one true kingdom, the kingdom of God. I want to... uh, we don't totally know all the things that we're going to do over the next several weeks during this, during this time. We're going to, as, as a team, do our very best to mobilize the church. There is no time that the church is off duty. There is no time that it is not time to worship, pray, praise, be community, and be salt and light in this world. There is no time. In fact, this is the time for the church to rise up and say, we're not afraid. We're not panicking. We know the one who was and is and is to come. We're not afraid. And so we're going to be very intentional in this next few weeks. I want to encourage you to be intentional. I want to encourage you to be light and peace for others. Are you contributing to anxiety or peace? Ask yourself that question. And then finally, I believe this is a time to pray. It's a time to pray. Do you know that we aren't only uh, God's representatives on the earth? We're partners with God his spirit, and his will. And sometimes, actually a lot of the time, his will is expressed solely through the prayers of his people. And I wonder if we can't just in the, these next weeks, as we pray for the end of coronavirus, that it would be a means to revival. Amen. Could we do that together? And so I thought every day at 1228, if you'd get your phone wherever you are, if you're on your iPad or whatever you're watching on, I thought every day at 1228, at 1228 let's... let's Let's sound the kingdom alarm and just pause for a minute and pray. And I mean pray. And pray that God would first and foremost do revival to the church and then that would bring revival through the church. And that God would reset our our fears, correct our behaviors, and redirect, redirect our expectation. And so I'm going to call us to pray together every day, for the foreseeable future. So I ask you to you do that with me, even starting today, 1228, sound the alarm, and we're going to pray that the kingdom, we're going to pray in faith that God's consuming fire would burn up what is death and refine what is life and light and glory. So I want to pray right now, in fact, and so wherever you are, just uh, maybe you can gather together as families, maybe you can kind of come around one another and let's agree together right now and just give God the opportunity to begin a new work in our in our homes, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in King's Church, and in this region. And we're going to agree together and we're going to just, just submit ourselves. We've heard the word of the Lord and now it is time to, to respond. So I want to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And in fact, maybe uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Andy, Melanie, Adam, Julie, maybe some of the staff, some of the elders want to gather with me right here. And we're going to agree together and pray. And we're going to close this off uh, in faith. Come on right up on stage. Maybe some of the staff and elders, board members. We're going to agree together in prayer. Just come on, fill right in. And let's, uh, let's lock arms and pray together. So let's agree, wherever you're at today, wherever you're watching online, maybe gather, maybe gather around with your family right now. Uh, God is not limited to, to where you are and he's not limited that we're not in the same room. He's with you as he is with us right now. So gather around your family, gather around your loved ones, get your kids and, 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 and link up and let's pray that God would have his way in this season. So let's pray, church. So Father, right now we come to you and we come to you first and foremost in reverence, God. Would this be a season where holy awe returns, not just to the region, not just to the culture, but to the church? Lord, awaken your church. Call us out of apathy. Call us out of uh, just like infidelity of our spirits and our interests. Lord, call us back to consecration, where we would see you as 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 you are, Lord. Give us revelation to see you high and lifted up, Lord. When we have have a moment where we say, wow, look at our God. We would say, woe is me, I am undone. And that in that heap, we would find the great grace that we don't deserve, but you give to us anyway. So Father, right now, we pray first and foremost for an awakening of minds and eyes, that, that Lord, it would actually bring down every stronghold, every lofty idea and lie and argument that has corrupted and confronted the knowledge of God. And would this be a season right now, would this be a season where the king of kings and lord of lords is established not just in hearts and minds but in conversation in families back in the school lord in, in the house of commons we ask that this would be a season as you humble human self-sufficiency would this be a season where the sufficiency and supremacy of christ is made known like never before we prophesy a great awakening awakening to who you are Jesus and we ask God that this wouldn't be something that we as a church just stare at other people other people say do you see do you see God would we see would we see you as greater because you are open our eyes Lord confront the ways Lord that we are blind God, let us buy from you gold. Let us buy from you healing that that actually opens the eyes. Let us clothe ourselves in grace, not in our own works, not in our own names, not in our own accomplishments, but in the grace of Jesus. So Father, we call forth right now in this hour over King's Church, over our families, over our friends, over our communities. We call forth a divine redirection. Lord, you have our ears, you have our eyes, and God, we surrender to you our lives. Lord, correct us in how we use our time. Correct us in how we use our voice. Correct us in what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and think with our thoughts. Correct us with how we use our resource. Correct us with how we use our time. Would you bring correction that brings life? We pray in Jesus' name. And now, God, right now, for every person under the sound of my voice, would the hope of the Holy Spirit fill their minds right now to realize that everything that happens on this earth happens within the parameters and the permission of King Jesus, and that you are going to cause all of this corruption and chaos to come into worship and glory and alignment, that this is a moment that is going to put a black eye on the kingdom of darkness and bring the king of God into greater fruition than ever before. Lord, we release just a wave of repentance over the region that turns people back to God like like never before. God, we prophesy people coming to faith in this season like never before. And God, we just say, we agree with how easy it is to find faith, that they're going to find Jesus and it's not going to be because they have to come to a church service. The church doors might be closed, but the church is very much mobile. And so God, we thank you in this season that the gospel is going out and the people will find the hope that is only found in Jesus. And so God, as you take up greater root and resonance in our lives, we say, use us. Call people to yourself. Lord, we just prophesy renewal and revival. And now, God, we partner with you in this moment, and we we command an end to the spread of this virus, and we say to the coronavirus to bow at the name of Jesus, and there is no disease in heaven, and that Jesus' wounds has the power to heal every every disease and every affliction, and so, God, right now, in the name of Jesus... We, as your people on earth, we say, Lord, would you not let this linger? Would you not let this last? Would you not let this spiral out of control? We trust you in it, but God, we agree on the earth, and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring a swift end to the chaos and disruption. As you bring correction to your church, we pray that you'd bring relief, and you'd bring an end, an end to this, an end to this disease. God that that God will look back on this season and was, will say that it was simply a means; it was a door that opened a great work of renewal. And so, God, we look at we look at it in faith and expectation. God, give us wisdom as 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 the church in these days as to how to be the church. You are not surprised by this; you are not put off by it. This has not caught you off guard. And so, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus, would you give us direction? God, would you give us provision? We look to you for it. Would you give us peace? We look to you for it. Would you give us hope? We look to you for it. God, would you bring healing? We look to you and you alone for it. We set our eyes on you, Jesus. And we pray this in faith. And all God's people said, amen, amen. 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 Bless you today. Thank you for tuning in. The band's gonna sing us out with one more song. And let's just make this our prayer together as we go about our week.